The Listening Lab is a space for honest and intimate conversations to better understand our neighbors and ourselves and is made possible by the Walmart Foundation. To learn more about the lab and schedule your visit, go to KUAFListeningLab.com. So I'm Dr. Josette Klein. I am a psychologist, and I am the director of CAPS, which is Counseling and Psychological Services at the Pat Walker Health Center at the University of Arkansas. Hi, Carlos Acosta, family physician and assistant medical director at Pat Walker Health. So my name is Jennifer Morris. I am the SEER program coordinator, and SEER is Substance Education Assessment and Recovery. My name is Brianne Carter, and I am the Assistant Director for Marketing and Communications for the Pat Walker Health Center at the University of Arkansas. I kind of wanted to just start with a story to sort of to sort of um, set us off and go from there. So, not too long ago, I was doing a presentation on campus, and the person introduced me. This is Dr. Klein from CAPS, and. Then the individual who um, was introducing me said, and we know that mental health on campus begins and ends at CAPS. And I said, well, thank you for inviting me. Glad to be here today. But I want to go back to that piece about mental health beginning and ending with CAPS on campus because I, I don't agree. I think that CAPS is a part of addressing mental health wellness and well-being on campus, but it certainly doesn't start and end there. There are so many other pieces, so that's why I think it's really important for us to work as a team. Excuse me. Important for us to work as a team. We have many places on campus where someone can sort of enter that wheel of wellness and well-being, and I think it's important to realize that CAPS is a part of that, but we may be the last 10 to 15% of a 100% solution regarding wellness and well-being. So putting it in context and understanding that there are many other places across campus to access services that support mental health, wellness, and well-being. And just I think what we need to do is um, expand our understanding and look at more population-based um, interventions for wellness and well-being. I think mental health, I agree with all that because mental health to me is so interconnected with everything. You can't any more separate mental health out than you can any other thing. Physical health interacts with mental health. Mental health interacts with physical health. It goes along with our social lives, whole financial well-being. Financial stress creates a lot of mental health issues. You know, there's just so much interconnectedness. I just don't think that you can separate separate it out, really. And just so following up with that, and I think that's why we are here from different disciplines and we have a little different piece of the, of the big pie for talking health and wellness. And so where mental health falls in that is it's key to everything. But I, I like, um, the, there's the Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid, right? And I think that's a good framework to start. Um, but it's because it gives us some words for things that we know, like you have a physiological need, right? If you are not sleeping, if you don't have access to food, if you can't breathe, it's hard to be healthy. And then you have safety. If every minute of the day you are afraid for your life or for your family's life, again, you don't have health. Then you have love, belonging. 
if you feel alone, isolated, you know, you can have all the money and all the safety in the world, but can you still don't have health? Then you have self self-esteem. If you have a, a history of trauma or substance or different things that no matter again, every other box can be checked and, and you just are in deep darkness. Um, and then and then the top self-actualization and that's fancy psychology talk that I don't really understand that well. Um, but so I love the framework. I don't love the pyramid, right? Because I do think the wheel concept is better because it all it all flows. Um, because, you know, you could be checking basically every box, but there's one box that's not checked that is what's most important to you at that point. And again, you can have every need met except you, you can't sleep and you're miserable. Or you, like I say, you can have every box checked, but you don't feel like you have friends, you don't have family, you feel like a complete outsider in every setting. I mean, imagine that you wake up and you go to bed and the entire day you did not have a meaningful connection with a single person. I think mental health, again, is it's, it's huge, it's key um, as part of that big You framework. mean, to me, just led the segue into trauma right there whenever you're talking about meeting those, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs there. And that's, you know, a big thing that we have to deal with, you know, is trauma, whether it's big trauma or, or little trauma. Because I think not sleeping, honestly, is like a little trauma. I mean, it affects so many things, you know, and then you have obviously, you know, much bigger trauma, grief and loss. But when those needs aren't getting met, you're in survival mode. How can you have mental wellness, physical wellness, all those things triggers a lot in that. I now know I jumped down, but it just segued, in my opinion. So, well, then, and this is speaking from the counseling center perspective, but what we know about mental health prior to the pandemic is that folks coming into the counseling center, the number one thing that they were reporting was anxiety stress, distress, anxiety, we can call it a lot of different things. And sort of moving through the pandemic and then now, I don't know if we can say we're post-pandemic. We promised Carlos we wouldn't talk about COVID. Um, But we know that the anxiety continues to be the number one thing that people are presenting with. And if you dive down into that a little bit deeper, the type of anxiety that is most Um, often described is social anxiety, isolation, disconnection, which is causing social anxiety. So that's something that we, I I believe certainly, if it's to a fairly substantial level, can be addressed with a counselor in the counseling center. But I think we need to look more broadly across our campus in lots of different ways to, to address this issue of social isolation um, and this issue of social anxiety by finding ways to be more connected, to be more connected as a community, to um, have more of a sense of belonging across campus. And as a university, we certainly are looking at ways to make that happen. But I think if the number one presenting issue at this point in time is social anxiety, then that speaks to what we need to do to address it. If it's socially based, then we need to address it socially, address it as a whole population on campus and not just one entity or another. 
I think finding a place where, I mean, there's so many, like on campus, but not just on campus, I mean, we can speak to the broader population, but finding a community that you feel welcomed in. I deal with substance abuse. So the reason why things like NA and AA work so well is because they, they find this community where they get that connection and they have people who have similar struggles, not the exact same, obviously. But um, and on campus, you know, there's a wide variety of um, organizations that people can be a part of so they can find something that that fits. Um, and then, you know, I've dealt with a lot of people who've made big moves in their lives and one of the first things, you know, that I talked to them about is, you know, what things are you interested in? How are you reaching out to others who might be interested in the same things that that you're interested in? Because that gives you just one easy way to be connected with somebody if you already have something that y'all are all interested in. Yeah, I, I would say with that is just to take inventory of, of where you are as you are feeling because um, like we were saying, everybody's needs are different and everybody's place is different. And speaking specifically to campus, there are many resources in different areas. So your need may be literally hunger. You may not have access to food. There are places on campus where there are um, options to help with that. And there is a specifically, I think, UA Cares, hopefully, I, I, I'm speaking truth in here, um, they're able to, to help guide, maybe provide some, some resources or at least information on, hey, you need food, you know, let's, here's, here's some options, there's different options on campus. Um, and if, if you're, as you take inventory and, and anxiety is the main concern, there, there are resources. Go to the Pat Walker Health Center website and there are resources that CAPS has, whether they are groups or workshops or um, at different points, there's different apps and different suggestions that can be used and, and that can be helpful. Or if maybe I mean, an example is you, you had a sudden change in just your health and you are having anxiety, but you're having anxiety with dizziness and heart racing and you're having nausea and you're waking up in the middle of the night, well, you might have a medical problem and then come talk to me. Um, and we will kind of evaluate that as well. So it is, the first step is just take inventory and take inventory of you're not feeling well, you're not doing well. Just take five minutes. It's crazy how often, and I include myself, we don't take five minutes a day to just think and breathe and say, all right, I am not doing well today. Why? And process through that and and maybe the answer won't come. And in that case, again, talk to caps. Um, no, but but most of the time you can you you will have an idea. And and just one more quick thing with that is, we all have pain, and pain can be fatigue. At the end of the day, we all have pain, and that can be pain from physical pain. It could be isolation. It can it could be just a number of things. So what what are you doing to address that pain? So at the end of the day, a lot of people use, you know, are you drinking wine at night or, or whatever you drink at night for social reasons or because you're having, you're tired, you're anxious. Um, we see a lot of people using marijuana. Are you doing, what are you using marijuana for? Uh, is it because you can't sleep? Is it because you're anxious? 
And the, depending the answer on that is what resource you're going to connect with. Uh, so take inventory. Take literally five minutes. Breathe. Think through why am I hurting? And based on that answer, try to find resources on campus. And we have different options. Well, and, and I think one of the things that's been helpful is that as a society, we've been more willing to have these open conversations about mental health, wellness, and well-being. We start talking to kids in kindergarten about how are you doing, and if you're not doing well, talk to somebody. Um, and so we have a generation of students coming to campus now who are much more willing to talk about how they're doing, much more willing to talk about mental health. And I think that's a really good thing that uh, we are reducing stigma and we are talking about it more. So I think that's one thing that helps people stop and address their mental health or assess how they're doing because we're it's sort of become part of our conversation. Um, and anything we can do to keep that going, I think, helps people normalize uh, feelings of anxiety or feeling down. I mean, these are these are things that exist along a continuum. We all feel anxious at certain points in time. We all have a, a depressed or down mood at certain points in time. You know, they said to us, we're going to come and talk on the radio today. Well, if that's not something that you do every day, the normal human response is to feel a little bit anxious about that. So normalizing that we all feel a bit anxious at times, especially in novel or new situations, and we, we roll with that. Um, there's a psychologist that talks about feel the fear and do it anyway. Um, letting, letting fear be the co-pilot but not slow you down. So understanding that at lower levels, anxiety is very normative. We all experience that just like a downer, depressed mood at times. It really depends on how much that's, and I think, Carlos, this is what you were referring to, how much does it impact your functional your functioning, your functional impairment. So I think we can expand the discussion of mental health, and if more people are talking about it and more people are comfortable talking about it, then that breaks down the social isolation. If I feel more comfortable really telling you how I'm doing today, whether that's doing well or not doing well, then, and if I feel like other people are receptive to that conversation, if we can create a community that's truly receptive to conversations about mental health, wellness, and well-being, then the social isolation reduces. Yeah, I think the, the method of communication also differs between people. And so, you know, with the pandemic picking up in, in TikTok and social media and people sharing, becoming more comfortable to share with, like, their audience or um, their peers via social media, what their struggles are um, has, has become a thing. Or if your method of communication is you'd rather talk to a therapist um, via phone, then that option's there. Or if you feel more comfortable talking to your professor or your peers, and then your peers know how to also help you get that help that you may need. Um, so I think the, the communication. It is hard if we have some students who are working two jobs and going to school and are taking care of family. So it's unreasonable for me to say, hey, and go run for 30 minutes and, you know, like go lift for 45 minutes and then maybe meditate for half an hour. And they'll go like, all right, thank you. Uh, 
we will not do that. Um, but but maybe for them is, is some is something else that can take ten to fifteen minutes, so they can work into their day. Um, that could just be just a ten minute walk, or it could be something that is not exercise at all for that stage of their life. Maybe they just need to meet with a friend twice a week for thirty minutes during their lunch break, and that fills the cup for that week. Be healthy. All of us have experienced this, right? Know, and and what we do, but dealing with addictions. This, you know, the wellness wheel, these eight things, trying to help the person figure out for them what avenue to take that's really going to help. Really, we touch on all of that whenever I'm touching with addiction, even financial stuff. I mean, I go back to the financial, but then you've got your spiritual and your occupational, which for us, you know, as students, but some of our students have careers as well that they're building. And, you know, and that's what... Um, that, you know, that's what I like about mental health, too, and substance abuse is, you know, a lot of people look at it as, like, almost hopeless at times. But honestly, whenever you look at it in a bigger picture, like what we're talking about as a wellness thing, there's so many avenues you can take to get to wellness, like Dr. Costa was saying. it You know, physical may be one, but meditation or that social interaction. And to me, I love that because that brings hope which is one of the biggest things that we're trying to do for mental health is to give people hope. So when you look at all of this, you have lots of options. That's amazing to me. We haven't really talked about, you know, how maybe they separate themselves from work and empathy. Yeah, I was, I if you guys want to talk about that, if you want, you know. can you separate yourself? Yeah. I don't, I mean, I think it's still part of you. Like, I don't know that you can really necessarily separate yourself, but y'all... Speak for yourselves. Um, there, again, it goes back to it depends on what's going on in, in my life, right? And what's going to help me to be able to to disconnect. I mean, I have two kids, so spending time with them and filling up their cup can can be that. But honestly, sometimes, you know, I mean, I, it's spiritual or sometimes it's just increasing my knowledge. I nerd out a little bit. I love, like some people try to get away. I mean, you get away from this field. I like I like reading articles or I like watching things that talk about mental health or wellness or not wellness, <laughs> um, those kinds of things. But they, they're all things though that help fill me up and make me feel more healthy. So sometimes it's pressing in instead of disconnecting. It just depends for me. I tend to ask myself through the day, what am I paying attention to? Because I think what we're paying attention to um, determines, or at least helps determine mood and outcome of your day. So are, are my shoulders up around my ears? Have I, can I get a deep breath? Have I taken a walk? Have I taken a break? Have I tried to disconnect in some way? Um, so I, I do try, and I, I talk with patients about this as well. It's like, what are we paying attention to? We need to intentionally think about what we're paying attention to and what we're doing. And if it's not making us feel good or not working for us, we need to shift it up somehow. Um, I've been a trauma psychologist for many, many years. And so patients have said to me over the years, how, how can you do this work? How can you sit with someone and hear about the most horrible things that happen to human beings and be okay? I say, that's a great question. Um, that work to me is so hopeful because if you can 
really dig in and it's hard work. Um, if you can dig in and um, process through these uh, traumatic events, things get better. It's a really hopeful, and they look at me like I have three heads when I say this, but it's, it's a really hopeful, encouraging field because if you get in there and do some of the right things, things get better. And you see people, it is an incredible journey to be, uh, feel very privileged to be a part of, to watch someone go from really living in a small circle to having a more fulfilling, flourishing life. And that's what the most intensive trauma work that I've done over time has done, is help people really move from a very small space sometimes a very isolated space, a very fearful space, to more fully engaging in their life and their world. One person described it as, I feel like I've sort of gotten out of my mental prison. <laughs> um, and that is such hopeful, encouraging work that I have felt very honored to be a, to be a part of and be able to, to be part of that oh. journey. Gosh, I've, that's the... That's the joy of working in the substance abuse field is, is that you get to see big transformations. There's a whole lot of heartache that goes with it. But, um, you know, I've had the privilege of – I had one person at the beginning of my career a long time ago that just – for them, <clears throat> it was weed. And he just was like, I'm never going to give this up. He came in there and he was like, this is no oh, – I'm sorry. I'm never going to give this up. And as we went through, we started dealing with anxiety and stuff first, right? We started dealing with mental health stuff first. And then as that stuff started to come and he was able to get clean and get sober at the end of our time, he was like, I just said that because I never thought, I never imagined I could really give it up. And that was so eye-opening to me to see that and to hear that and, um, you know, for him to be able to live his life without that. He wanted it, but he pretended like and had a facade that he, he didn't want that until he knew he could. Yeah, that's that's the hope. It, he did the work. I just got to be along for the ride, right. you know, and that's the that's the joy. We have to have those moments, <laughs> so to keep doing what we do. Um, yeah, multiple stories. Um, but going to the disconnecting real quick just uh, to – it's it's funny because the 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 two two answers to that the the high level is, you, what what are your values? Are you investing in those? Um, so for me, that's kind of faith and and you know, am I in line with these things? And then it doesn't become quite as difficult sometimes to if you feel like you're aligned at work and home. It's you know the the person that has had you know you know you can name it the, the certain malady issue that they have not been able to overcome for years. And then this doesn't happen very often, but sometimes you do find, hey, it's, the, it's this. And it's the blood sugar was very high. That's why your life has been miserable for the last two years. And you fix it in a week. And that is huge. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. But but when it does, that that is that is great. Come most um, to mind. You hit the nail on the head. For everyone, there's there's different struggles. For people who are in recovery, um, in general, it's it's a good thing to stay away from that. It's because it's hard to maintain recovery 
um, whenever you're going out with people who are engaging in your drug of choice, whether it's alcohol or marijuana or other things like that. Or fried rice, rice, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, it goes back to, I mean, he hit the nail on the head. It's, it's that cycle. It, it brings you down. And what I've seen people who are in recovery, um, it, they're, can be hard on themselves. So when they start to go down, getting back up after they've had a long period can be really hard. And so in any kind of indulgence for them can actually put them into a full-blown relapse. I don't consider I don't consider a relapse a one-time using. I consider a relapse going back to the behaviors that surrounded it. To me that goes back to I mean all the stuff we've been talking about mental health. Mental health isn't just one piece of the puzzle. To me it's the whole picture, the mindset, the going back to the things you used to be doing when you were using and, and all of that. And so, yeah, it's, um, and it's hard because it's not the same for everybody. They might be with people that are not alcoholic. They can go out and have a drink and be fine. But for them, you know, making that choice to be around that can be really detrimental to the progress that they've made. And again, it goes back to take inventory of, of who you are, where you are, what your values are. So, for me, having um, an alcoholic drink means nothing because I don't have a struggle with alcohol. But for somebody who does, it is, it, you know, they, they shouldn't. And they should really, especially depending when they are in their recovery, and I'll pass this on to Jennifer, um, maybe they should not be around it as much as possible. So it depends a little bit when you are and and my and I realize that my eating example can actually also be a little insensitive. If you if you have issues with food and binging and things like that, again, that's don't go to Chinese restaurant with my son. That is that is bad. But it's um I, I say that a little tongue in cheek and again it, it it is a little insensitive, but it's not there are other areas in our lives that we know, or at least that I can speak to that I know it's I really should not go there because indulging in this will escalate or make it really hard for me to stick to my values because I know this is a little bit of a blind spot or a weak spot for me. Um, Again, alcohol and food in general are not, so I feel comfortable going out in those settings. But but maybe, Jennifer, you are the expert on that. To me, it's going back to before they started using... um, Sometimes, but sometimes not. Sometimes it's just helping them to evolve from from that point. So I think it, I think in terms, and, you know, coming out of psychology, I think in terms of a functional impairment, which means is, is the behavior or activity I'm engaged in at everywhere from a, a normal normative level up to a level that produces um, a problem for me. So um, Carlos and I might be able to go have a drink at the bar and that's fine. It, there's not an, that doesn't impair my life in any way. I'm not, but for someone who's an alcoholic may um, not be able to do that. So it, it really depends on if the activity that you're engaged in Let's go back to the anxiety example. Anxiety is something that exists along a continuum, right? So we all experience anxiety. Um, That anxiety may or may not impair what I want to do in my life, right? So if I experience anxiety and I kind of work through that anxiety and I complete the event that makes me anxious and then it reduces the anxiety, 
that's fine. But if I have anxiety to such a high level that I am having panic attacks, for example, then that's more of an impairment in my life. So I think about is is any are any of these issues, whether it's eating or alcohol or anxiety, are they impacting my life to the point where I can't function very well, or are they just sort of a minor inconvenience or wherever they are along the continuum? So that's why Carlos and I might be able to go have one drink and go home, but someone who has more of an issue with alcohol may not be able to do that. So that would be more of the, alcohol would be more of the impairment. Like, you know, whether you identify yourself as a, you know, as a marijuana user or you identify yourself as somebody who has high anxiety, um, these labels, we kind of own them. We take them in and we own them. And and so whenever you have the person, whenever I have somebody sitting in front of me, who, you know, they're struggling with, you know, either weed or alcohol or whatever, sometimes it's not easy for them to say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, but they're willing to say that they're struggling with something else. And so um, we can use that other thing that they're struggling with that they <clears throat> they don't want to associate it with their identity. So they, they take on the weed as proud, like, you know, I smoke weed, it's how I get through my day, but maybe they don't, they don't want to own the anxiety. So you help them talk through the anxiety and what that is, and, and as they, you know, overcome that, then they realize that, oh, that, that thing that I owned, I really didn't want to own that. I was really owning my anxiety by owning that instead. But you can't, you know, that's really such a process, and everyone processes through that, you know, so differently. But you help them find the identity that they that they really want, not the mask, right. I think. Yeah. So instead of saying that, they say, oh, you know, I like to go drink. You know, drinking is – so they can own that, right? Yes. Or whatever that is. It's easy for them to own that instead of owning the thing behind it the thing that's really um, there because that's not it's not acceptable it's really strange but it's true <laughs> how sometimes you know um, overeating is way more acceptable than being somebody who is a very anxious person right <laughs> like you're throwing shade at me right now Jennifer <laughs> for my fried rice comment sorry oh, okay rice. I had a vulnerable moment okay but it's not impairing your life ongoing. So well, it might have okay. impaired my sleep last night. So, yes. Well, it goes back to what Dr. Acosta said. When you sit back and really take inventory, and, and Gisette alluded to it too, what are you thinking about the most? <clears throat> if you can be real with yourself, and I think that's a hard thing for anybody to be real with yourself. Like, is this really a, a part of who I want to be? Because when our behaviors don't line up with who we really want to be, that's when we have that, that's when we get into the mental health struggles a lot of times. And so, you know, people being able to, you know, take a step back and be like, is is this really who I want to be? What is this really about? You know, and, and reassess. Then they can start, I think, that path, that real journey to wellness, whether it's whatever avenue they need to take at that moment in time in their life. And again, I think that goes back to the joy of kind of the whole wellness thing, right? At different places, your journey is at different, maybe physical, maybe, you know, spiritual or 
maybe occupational or educational, you know. So I don't know if this exactly answers that, but dealing with people who are struggling with substance abuse, seeing so many people come out on the other side of it, um, some of the most resilient people I've ever met in my life are the people who've come out on the other side of addiction, who've walked through that. And so people who aren't quite there yet, who this is not the person they want to be, this is the person they want to be, but seeing that they're so far apart, like how do I even merge them back together? It's, it goes back to, again, giving them hope. It goes back to helping them to see and recognize. That's why in my field, peer recovery support to me is so important because they have people that they can see who've been through that, but also encourage them on their on their own journey of, of discovery um, within that. And whenever they come in to my office, and I know this is for everybody who, well, I won't speak for everybody, but um, anyways, you know, one of the things I tell them, I'm here to support you. I'm here to support you where you want to go. <laughs> I'm not, you know, this is going to sound funny. I'm here to support you where you're at because I need to be able to support you at the base. I need to meet you where you are. I need to crawl into that pit with you in order to help be with you as you come out of that and you get to that person that you want to be. But I have to acknowledge, I have to be real and genuine with where you are if I'm going to help you to get to the place that you want to be. I can't ignore the truth of that and where you're at. That won't do any good to get you to the place that you want to be. So I don't know if that answered that merging question. That's the the best I got. It's making me think of something that we talked about in an all staff one time of like, do we think that people can change? And obviously, of course, our boss was like, yeah, coming from a counseling perspective, I think, yeah, people can change. And I I commented and I said, you know, it's whether or not that person is willing to change. Um, and so I think, you know, defining yourself, we change over time. Everyone changes over time. It's how you want to change. Um, and, and going back to like, you know, whether it's your physical or whether it's your social, who you're connecting with, or, you know, whether it's you're focusing more on your finances and you want to strengthen your financial, um, progression and yeah. So, yeah, I don't think any of us would do the work that we do if we didn't believe that change was possible. So we certainly, I certainly believe that, that even if things look really dark at times, that um, there, are, there are ways to intervene. There are ways to put a stick in that spinning wheel and slow things down and, and take a look at where we can go next. <clears throat> I mean, I guess I think about aligning thoughts, feelings, behavior, and values. And if those are out of line, then we have um, distress, anxiety, depression, et cetera. And if we can realign sort of what we're thinking and what we're doing and what we're feeling, um, then that, that in my mind is a sort of an overarching view of path back to wellness, to wellness or path back to wellness. So aligning all of those things. Um, so a psychologist that talks about if we're, um, if the internal is not matching the external, if what we're thinking and feeling is not matching what we're saying and doing, that's where the disconnect happens and that in his mind is where the distress and mental health issues happen. So we need to align 
sort of thinking and feeling with what we're saying and doing. So as a non-psychologist, so here's my non-psychology, because um, ju just take on it, and, and I do think that distinction is important of if you see somebody with depression, major depression, not just a bad day, but major depression. And again, I tell them, you know, get up, get some morning sunlight, go walk, go touch grass, go drink water, go do all these things. Depression will not let you. And if I say, go have a meaningful connection with your loved ones, and they can't. And I say, go work out. And they, they know they love working out, and they remember loving working out. And they can't. They just don't. They, they, they can't, and they don't know why. I can't tell that person needs the help of y'all or, or something different a little bit. That person does not have the language, doesn't have to. Depression has taken away the tools that I would say, here are the tools I would recommend to get you out of depression. But I promise depression took them away. So what do you do? If that is where you are, hopefully, and try to connect different places on campus. If you're off campus, you know, maybe at a, at a church or something else, there you will likely need somebody else to help you along. Different than that is the person that has different things going on in their lives and they just want to be a different person, right? They want to change. They want a different identity. And, and, and in that case is, well, define that identity. Who do you want to be? And I think... Um, Another good uh, good book, and I would recommend this one, is Atomic Habits. And it's basically like, you, you know, you want to change, you want to build different habits in your life. It's so hard. We all we all want to, but we all fail uh, multiply. Um, but that concept of identity is so important, and he gives lots of examples. Um, I would completely butcher them, but it's basically the person that doesn't smoke versus the person that's quitting smoking. It, I... I don't, I'm not a person that smokes. So if you offer me a cigarette, it takes no, there's no willpower needed for me to say, no, thank you. Like, I have zero desire for that. Um, the person that is, if that is your goal to quit smoking, you know, basically you want to be a person that doesn't smoke versus a person that's quitting smoking, getting there. The person that says, hey, I want to be a runner. You all know runners. They're crazy people. Um, but it's, I'm a runner. I get up at five in the morning and I run. And if I just got in from a late flight last night at 10 p.m., I'm still going to go run. It's a runner. Okay. So I'm going to be a runner. So the thing James Clear and Atomic Habit says is every action you take towards that identity is a vote for your future self. So today I'm going to do this and it's a vote for Carlos being a runner. I'm not a runner, but, you know, for Carlos being a runner. So I'm taking this. It's like little votes, little steps. The 1% better, that stacks. Um, so I think that's good. I think that is, if you're looking to make some changes, I think that is a good book. But I think it's an important distinction that, yeah, sometimes we just cannot do it. But it doesn't matter. We can try the hardest you can until you're blue in the face and you can read every book and you just can't. And hopefully there will be help. For you in that case I often say to patients you know where wherever you are at this point in time you, you bless you <laughs> where, wherever you are at this point in time you come by this honestly you know no one woke up one day and decided that you know 
going to do X or Y or Z, have have a traumatic event happen, et cetera. I mean, we, we come to where we are honestly, and we need to give ourselves credit for um, surviving to the point that we have survived, and um, then we can take the next steps to move into better than surviving into thriving and living, but to give ourselves credit for um, getting to where we are at that point in time. Um, wanting to move towards change is great, but I say we, we come by this honestly, and let's give ourselves credit instead of, um, instead of beating ourselves up. We do a lot of beating ourselves up for not being in the places that we want to be, and I think we need to stop and say, I, I, I got to here, and uh, let's move forward. Few tips to improve your mental health. Um, work on savoring the positive emotions, so sitting in them and enjoying them. Um, people minimize breathing. Breathing is one of my all-time favorite things, um, and I think when used right, physically releases stress in your body. And then um, the last thing is, we brought it up several times, but honestly, pet love, fur babies, amazing way to, to deal with stress as long as you don't have allergies. <laughs> couple of things to help with and to mental health and just general health is a big one is identity and just take inventory and no matter what stage what point in your life you are we all need every day to take five minutes just take five minutes set it in your watch say who am i today what are my values what's important to me um the, not an original thought for me, but if, if you don't define that, somebody else will for you, right? Because people want your time and they want your your life. So define that and go out from that place in, in strength, um, knowing that. And, and two, loneliness and solitude are not the same thing. So loneliness, bad. Be a good friend. If you have good friends, cherish them be a good friend, be kind to your friends. Um, but solitude is good. Solitude, again, is that five minutes. Be comfortable putting the phone away, putting everything away, and be comfortable with five minutes of silence, of thinking. If you cannot do that, you might want to talk to somebody. And, and I say that actually seriously. Um, if there is so much noise in your head that you're not capable of being quiet for five minutes, then you might need a little bit of help with figuring that out. And pets too. Dogs are good. I'd say just recognizing and understanding that anxiety, and I bring that up because it's it's the number one thing that, that folks talk about. Anxiety is... Uh, exists along a continuum and can be a very normal experience. Um, there's, a, there's a book that I love called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Understand that we are all going to experience anxiety or fear, um, but that we can move through those. One of the tips that I read for especially someone making a transition like a college freshman going to college is understand that you're sitting in your dorm room feeling very alone as this freshman who has just moved in um, and understand that everybody else on that hallway is feeling the exact same way. So be the person that makes the move. Be brave. 
go knock on someone's door and say, hey, let's go to the dining hall. And, you know, you can replicate this across anyone who's not a college student, right? But being brave and understanding that lots and lots of people are feeling as anxious or stuck as you do. And so make the move. Reach out. Because social connection is can, can be helpful for so many reasons. So I am not a medical doctor or a mental health clinician, but I would say for me, my three things that I would recommend for mental health um, and just overall health and wellness would be who are you surrounding yourself with, which is similar to what Dr. Acosta was saying. Um, the people that you surround yourself also impact your mood. Um, what are you putting your energy into, which goes along with Dr. Klein's, what are you paying attention to? Um, so that could be the, you know, the people that you're surrounding yourself or the things that you're, you're doing in your day to day. And then also recognize that it takes one day at a time. One conversation is not going to change everything in, in that one day, but it does make an impact. Um, so whether it's a conversation or a practice that you participate in that day. Come see us at the Pat Walker Health Center. Listening Lab on KUAF 91.3.